Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. This is Brett Martin. Uh, we're continuing our series on Encouraged, going through the life of David in the book of Psalms. And the title of today's message is The Long Tongue of Gossip. So please enjoy. The series, Sunday morning series, we've been going through for some of our visitors is called Encouraged in the Lord. And this is a look through the book of Psalms, a look through David's life, and uh, where it's called Encouraged in the Lord. <clears throat> and I personally have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed this series. And this morning we're going to be in Psalms chapter 4. One last time, I'm going to invite you, if you're physically able, to stand to your feet in respect and reverence to the Word of God. Starting at the superscript of Psalm chapter 4, to the chief musician on Neganoth, a psalm of David, hear me when I call, O God, my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing Selah? But know that the Lord hath set apart him that is goodly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. Offer sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, <clears throat> who will show us any good? Lord, <clears throat> Uh, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. The title of the message this morning is The Long Tongue of Gossip. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, one last time we come to you this morning begging you to put your power on this service, begging you to open our hearts and minds to receive the word of God. May you move in this building today and visit with us this morning. For us in Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the fifth century, there was a well-respected man in Athens, Greece. This man's name was Aristides. Aristides was well-respected and he was well-honored. In fact, he was so respected and he was so honored that Aristides earned a nickname. Aristides earned the nickname The Just. He was known as Aristides The Just because he was so honorable, he was so respected, he had so much character, he had so much integrity, people just called him the just. Fast forward a few years later and over the course of time, public opinion about Aristides had actually changed and a vote, the people voted, he was a politician and people put a vote on Aristides of condemnation. They voted to condemn him. They went to somebody that voted against Aristides and they asked him, why did you vote against Aristides? What was your reason? What did he do? 
And the man looked back and said, you know, I, I voted against Aristides for one reason, because I was tired of hearing everybody call him the just. And you know what? If there was anybody who could sympathize with Aristides, it was David. David would be attacked without provocation. David would be attacked out of spite. Now, I know we know what it's like to be attacked out of spite. Just because somebody wants to attack you. And that is what David was going through. Here in Psalms 4, we've been going through these psalms, but I want you to see in Psalms 4, David faces a different kind of foe. Oh, usually he's facing Saul, and usually he's facing Absalom, and usually there's a face that goes with these attacks. Here in verse 4, here in Psalms chapter 4, it's a little different. The foe that David is facing is not very easily identifiable. It's not very easily identifiable, you see, because most enemies, they, saw, they fought with the sword. But these enemies, they fought with the tongue, which the Bible tells us is sharper than the sword. So this, these people, they fought with the tongue. And here in Psalms 4, the superscript, it says that it's to the chief musician. Now, the chief musician was the choir director at the sanctuary. So that's who this psalm was going to. And, you know, throughout this psalm, there's no particular foe mentioned. There's no particular enemy mentioned. It very well could be that this song by David was prompted by years of people gossiping about him and years of people slandering against him and years of people railing against him. And that was what prompted the writing of this song by David. So we all, we all know that attacks like that can wear you down. Attacks like that after a long period of time can wear you down. And that's what had happened to David. He had been wore down by these attacks. Now, in the superscript, we see the word neganoth. Neganoth was a stringed instrument, a lot like a harp. Now, you would think if David was going to sing about these gossipers, if David was going to sing about these slanderers, if David was going to sing about these enemies, maybe he ought to use a trumpet, you know, put them on blast, you know, like people do on Facebook, Facebook blast them. You know, you think David would use a trumpet and just blast them out, tell everybody about his enemies. But David didn't do that. David didn't choose the trumpet. David chose the soothing, dulcet tones of a harp-like instrument. Why? Because David had tenderness in his heart even for his enemies. David had tenderness in his heart even for those that would injure him. He still had a tenderness in his heart. Now, David's foes in this psalm, they're described as the sons of men. Now, that was a way of saying that these people are wealthy, powerful landowners. These people are wealthy, they're powerful, they're landowners. And it says these people, they made, they, they, they made their ministry into turning David's glory into shame. That was what they lived for. That was the only thing they wanted. That was their purpose. They lived to turn David's glory into shame. 
They would not respect their king. They would not respect the God that enthroned him as king. They would spend their lives choosing to humiliate David. You know, just like the wealthy today, they live their lives seeking after vain, frivolous pleasures. The Bible says that they that they that they seek that they they sought after leasing against David. That they that they seek after leasing. That's an old English way of saying that they were lying about David. They were lying about David. They were just telling one whopper after another whopper after another whopper. They were talking about David. They didn't care if it was true. They didn't care if it was false. They were just blab, 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 blab. They were attacking him. They were talking about him. They were just telling one lie right after another. You know, we, we might have understood if David, would just, if David would have just stood up and said, you know what? You know what? This ain't right. You know, you, got, you, you, don't, you don't know everything I've done for this country. You don't understand that, that the Lord is blessing this country because the Lord has blessed me. We would understand if David went up to those guys and say, you, you don't know, you know all the enemies that I've fought back from taking over this country. You wouldn't even be rich if it wasn't for me. If we were in David's position, we would be like, all right, David, good deal. Let him have it. Man, we would understand if David were to fly off the handle and attack them like that. And we'd say, oh, well, David's just being human. David's just being human. He's just doing his thing. If David would allow, if David would have allowed these busybodies to turn him into a bitter, angry man, we might would understand why? Because we've been the recipients of gossip. People have talked about us and gossiped about us and slandered us and stabbed us in the back. We've been recipients of that. So we could understand if David, you know, had to come to Jesus meeting with these guys. We would understand that. But I want you to see this morning that David found a better way. David found a better way. Instead of fighting fire with fire, instead of fighting gossip with gossip, instead of fighting slander with slander, instead of fighting lies with lies, the Bible, you know what David said he did? The Bible says David turned to his God. He turned to his God. Listen to this from Psalms 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Before David dealt with the enemy, David spoke with God. David had learned at this point that he could not enter into any human conflict without God's help. He had learned that he needed Bible wisdom. What kind of Bible wisdom did David need? David needed the the kind of Bible wisdom that's found in James chapter 3. David needed the kind of wisdom that's found in James chapter 3 verses 17 and 18. Let me read these verses to you very quickly. Listen to me as I read them. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure 
then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. This kind of peace is an antidote for the gossipers. This kind of wisdom that produces peace is the antidote for the slanderers. This type of peace, this type of wisdom that produces peace is the antidote for the liars and the backbiters. David approached God with confidence because he knew he had been unjustly reproached. You know, as human beings, we mess up a lot. Can I get amen? Oh, man, we mess up a lot. It's very, very rare that we get to stand before God and be in the right. That is a rare, rare thing. But, you know, when somebody's lying about you and you know it's a lie because you know the truth, then you can stand before God in the right because God can't be fooled. God knows what really happened. You know, like all Paul Harvey, God knows the rest of the story. Okay, so, you know, uh, we, we you know, you can stand before God and, and, and know that you're right. But, you know, God can't be fooled. And David knew this when he prayed. Let me tell you something. Slander is a powerful force it is a powerful force. David was no stranger to hiding in caves when the enemy was closing in. David, had, David knew what it was like to be surrounded by the enemy and the enemy closing in and choking him down and getting closer and closer. And it's just getting claustrophobic because the enemy is surrounding him and they're around every, turner, every, every corner and they're just getting closer and closer. David knew what that was like. So David is saying here that the gossipers are doing to him mentally what the armies were doing to him physically. And these slanderers and these gossipers were closing in on him and choking him down and, and just getting closer and closer. And they were around every corner and they were around every turn and they were just getting closer and closer and closing in on David. So they're closing in on David, and as they're closing in on David, the Bible says it put him in distress. This closing in and this choking down, these constant and powerful attacks that were surrounding him, they were giving him a sense that there was nowhere he could go, that there was no one he could turn to, and that there was no way out. So what did he ask God to do? He asked God to enlarge himself. Basically, what he's saying is, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn to. I need you to give me some space. I need you to take these enemies that are surrounding me and choking me down and attacking me. I need you to push them out. I need you to enlarge me. I need you to, to give me some space. That's what he's asking for. And you know what? The Lord answered his prayer. The Lord did what David asked him to do. These enemies were choking David out. And God said, enlarge me, God. Give me some space. 
pushed these people back from me and God answered his prayer. Verse 3, the Lord will hear when I call unto him. The Lord did not let David down. He gave David the perfect answer. So David, here we are again. On a Sunday morning, David, here we are. We need your help again, David. Show us what to do. David, once again, help us out. When we are in distress, how do we respond? When every fiber of our being wants to retaliate against someone who's seeking to turn my glory into shame, how do we respond? David, how do we keep from slinging mud when they're throwing mud at me? How do I keep from slinging mud when they're throwing mud at me and I'm covered in it by people who seek after leasing? Basically, it boils down to this. The question this morning, how do we encourage ourselves when the gossipers are winning? That's the question this morning. How do we encourage ourselves when the gossipers are winning? And once again, I'm here to tell you, it's like every Sunday before this, it's the reason why Psalms 4 is in the Bible. It's the reason why Psalms 4 in the Bible. What David is saying in this song is he's basically saying, when the enemy attacks, witness to him. When the enemy attacks, witness to him. You know, this was, this was quite the solution. David knew the reason for their empty, blathering hearts. He knew the reason for it. It's because they're lost. And the solution, the easy solution, they need, they need to get saved. You know, uh, that need to be addressed. They had a false view of God and they needed to be saved. Now, let me say this. Not everybody that gossips and not everybody that slanders is lost. Save people can do it too. But when you do gossip and you do slander, that is a sign of, sign of being lost. And I'm, I'm here to tell you today, and this might shock some of you, more lost people do it than saved people. You may say, oh, hold on a second, Brother Brett. You need to put the brakes on right there. You just need to hold on just a second. Most of the people I know that gossip are from, come from, the, from the church. And you know what that means? That means there's more lost people in church than you thought there were. So here we go. Here's where I'm going out. Let's talk, let's talk about this this morning. Point number one, we're going to call it choosing the sinful path. Choosing the sinful path. David's foes, they asked a question in verse number six. Let's look at verse number six. Who will show us any good? Who will show us any good? With all their multiple gods, they're seeking after a God who will give them what they wanted. And what they wanted was good. What they wanted was prosperity. I want a God who's going to give me good. I want a God who's going to give me prosperity. They cared nothing about serving God. They cared nothing about honoring God. But rather they were interested in a God that would satisfy their selfish desires. This was an ancient version of the prosperity gospel. 
You know what the prosperity gospel is? Here's what the prosperity gospel is. I will believe as long as I got money in my bank account. I will believe as long as I can pull my bass tracker. I will believe as long as I got my fifth wheel. As long as I got that big fat savings account, I will believe. But you know what? That's called the prosperity gospel. And you know, the prosperity gospel is being preached all over the place. You go to these stadium religions where these pastors fill up these stadiums two and three times on a Sunday and they never preach against sin and they never preach on anything negative and they only preach the positive and they go in there and they itch people's tickling ears. They're dangerous because they're preaching a prosperity gospel and prosperity gospel sends people to hell. It sends people to hell. That's why it's dangerous. I can't think of one right offhand. I'm racking my brain trying to think. I'm trying to think of one that might preach that, but I, I don't know. But you see, the thing is, the thing is, uh, in all seriousness, it, this prosperity gospel thing is dangerous because send people to hell. So he said to them in verse 4, Stand in awe and sin not. You know the reason why they so openly and so brazenly attack David? The answer is in Romans 3.18. Romans 3.18 says, There was no fear of God before their eyes. That's why they didn't care. That's, because they, that's why they didn't care. If they had the knowledge of the fear of God, then they would have struck them different. Okay, uh, They would have realized the offensiveness of their sin if they feared God. The man who does not fear God has no reason to keep from sin. If you don't fear God, you have no reason to keep from sin. Then he told them, and it's continuing in verse 4. He said, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Like we discussed last week, when we think of the heart, we think of the heart as the center of our emotions. We think of the heart as the center of our feelings, okay? And for David, the heart was more than that. For David, the heart was, was the center of his reflection. It was the, it was the center of one's desires and the centers of one, center of one's will. Your plans are made in your heart, whether those are good plans or bad plans whether those are righteous plans or, or unrighteous plans, uh, whether those are foolish plans or not, wicked or foolish, those plans are made in the heart. Luke 6.45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For, for of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. When a person chooses a sinful path, he rushes into that path blindly. And the last thing he wants to do is lay on his bed at night and feel the conviction of God. 
He will do anything he can to quench and quench the conviction of God. I don't want to feel that conviction. I don't want to feel that conviction over my sin because I enjoy the fruits of my wickedness. I enjoy my sin. I don't want God to interfere in my wicked ways. I'll do anything to keep that conviction back. There is no interest in being still and listening to God. All they want to do is they push God away because they don't want that conviction. They don't want to be around you, a Christian, because you'll convict them. They, want to go to, they don't want to go to church because they'll get convicted. They don't want to pick up a Bible because they'll get convicted. They don't want to listen to Christian music because they'll get convicted. And so they'll push all that back to try to keep that conviction at bay. And you know what the end result of that is? The end result is a sinner that does not understand the gravity of their sin. They do not understand the consequences of their wickedness. That's the result of that pushing that conviction away. Number two this morning, religious but not righteous. Religious but not righteous. Here's what David wanted. David wanted his enemies to see their sin like God saw their sin. If David's enemies would see their sin like God saw their sin, they would, in verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. They would do this if they saw their sin as God saw their sin. Now, presumably, the people who who were railing against David and talking against David on Saturday night were the ones who earlier that morning brought the sacrifices to the sanctuary. They were the people, the same people who gossiped about him on Saturday night. That morning, they were the ones offering at the tabernacle that morning. They were religious, but they were not righteous. They would bring an offering to appease their conscience but it would not impress God. Had they listened to their conscience upon their beds, they would have known the difference. Had they listened to that conviction, they would have known. Let me say this. Coming to church on Christmas and only coming to church on Easter may appease your conscience, but it will not impress God. Giving your money instead of giving your time, may appease your conscience. It will not impress God. So then what he says, he said, so now God wants, God, wanted, God wants a righteous sacrifice. He wants a righteous sacrifice. It wasn't enough just to bring the animal. It wasn't enough just to bring the bread. It wasn't enough just to bring the money. He wanted the animal brought with a repented heart. He wanted the offering brought with a repented heart. Your heart had to be attached to it. Basically, formal, out-of-habit trips to the altar was not enough to get the job done. Doing something out of habit wasn't the point. He wanted obedience joined with a tender heart that was broken over sin. Psalms 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. 
You can come to church every Sunday. You can come through that door every Sunday morning and sit in this service. But if you don't bring your heart with you, it doesn't mean anything. If you don't open up your heart when you're in here, you're wasting your time. If your heart's at work, or if your heart's on the job, or if your heart's at home, or if your heart is closed off, if you're not willing to open up your heart while you're in here, you're not doing yourself any good. Because it doesn't matter. The sacrifice doesn't mean anything if a broken heart is not accompanied with it. Your body can come, but your heart needs to be here too. I am not up here telling you that I don't want to bash religion. Religion is a good thing. Religion gives me a relationship with God. It gets me closer to God. Religion is a good thing on the one hand. On the other hand, religion is a dangerous pacifier. Religion is a dangerous pacifier because it, it, its emphasis on good works convinces somebody that they're okay when they're not. That's why there's so many lost people in church. Because their good works convince them they're okay when they're actually not. They're religious, but they're not righteous. Oh, a little bit of time, a little bit of money, a little bit of prayer. And then the sinner can go on their merry way and live their life how they want to live. Next week, at same time, same place, same ritual, and we'll do it all over again. David knew the only way to heaven was through the Lord. He knew this. Let me read for you Hebrews 9, 26 and 28. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed to men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. This is a powerful presentation of the gospel. It's a powerful presentation of the gospel. Basically, sin is a problem. You are guilty. Religion will not save you. There is only one right way to God. And that's the gospel. Now, Number three this morning is we've got the next step. The next step. Verse number five. What's the next step? Verse five. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust on the Lord. David knew that these people, that these lost people gossiping about him and slandering him and attacking him, he knew they needed to depend on. He knew they needed to rely on with a sense of being completely confident in the saving power of God. You know, this has been around for a long time. The saving power of God has been around for a long time. It was around back when Abraham got saved. In Genesis 15, 6, believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. That was Abraham's salvation. Remember when Paul, the apostle Paul, told the Philippians jailer and Acts 16.31 Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Your religion cannot save you. 
Your good works cannot save you. You need to put your trust in the only one who can save you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in the Lord. You know what's an amazing thing about soul winners? Amazing thing about soul winners is they witness to people because they love the Lord who saved their soul. They witness because they love the sinner who needs Christ. But there's an inadvertent byproduct of witnessing to people. There's an inadvertent byproduct of sharing the gospel with people. And that's the benefit that it is to the child of God. You see, when you tell someone about Christ, any bitterness you had towards that person begins to melt away. When you tell somebody about Christ, all the resentment you may harbor for someone will melt away. And it will be replaced with a compassion for a soul that needs heaven. It will be replaced with a compassion to see that person saved. Compassion replaces wrath. Compassion replaces wrath. And when they finally trust the Lord, your enemy will become your brother. There was a missionary on the mission field. And this is a very hard mission field. He was preaching in a village that was overrun with sin. The conditions were very, very brutal. However, this was the mission field that God had called him to. So he continued on to, he continued on to preach. However, one day, there was a wicked man in that village this wicked man assaulted the missionary's daughter. The police, were, the police were called. The man was arrested. But a few hours later, he was back out on the streets. No justice had ever been served. This hit the missionary very, very hard. But what did the missionary do? He continued on and he continued to preach. Not too much time later, in the middle of the night, one night, there was a knock at the door. The missionary ran to the door and he swung open the door and standing at the door was the man who had scarred his daughter for life. In that man's arms was his own son. You see, the missionary was a pilot. The son was sick with a fever. If the son didn't get to a hospital, the son would die. So this man who had assaulted his daughter, who had scarred his daughter for life, asked this missionary to fly his son to the hospital and save his son's life. The missionary took the boy, ran to the plane, flew the boy to the hospital, and saved his life. This missionary had saved the life of the son who was his greatest enemy. I want you to notice a change in Psalms 4. The change in Psalms 4 is at the beginning of the psalm, David is in distress. But by the end of it, he's basking in the light of the countenance of God. His worldly enemies were only happy when their corn and their wine was increased. 
That was the only time that his enemies were happy. But David had something different. You know what the prosperity gospel produces? The prosperity gospel produces a people that is religious as long as their financial circumstances are good. As long as their financial circumstances are good, they are happy and they are religious. But you know what an encouraged Christian can say along with David? They can say, thou hast put gladness in my heart circumstances didn't make David glad, God did. And when you get to this point, circumstances won't make you happy, circumstances won't make you glad, God will make you glad. So how can we encourage ourselves in the Lord? Find somebody to witness to. Get some names on a list and start praying for them to be saved. Ask God to give you boldness to testify on the job or testify in the classroom. Leading a sinner to the Savior will bring you strength, will bring you joy, it will bring you encouragement that can overcome the greatest turmoil. So, there's nothing left for David to do but to say, lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And this is how we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Now, I want you to see this morning that normally this is where I'd stop in the message. I did not preach very long this morning. That was by design. Point of the message this morning was to show you that you need to witness to people. I've been here for three and a half years. I have yet to show y'all how I win somebody to the Lord. It's very important for a Christian. Some of you, you remember when you got saved. But if you had the opportunity to lead somebody to the Lord, maybe you're in here and you wouldn't know how to do that. What I want to do very quickly this morning, I'm not going to be very long. I want to show you how I lead somebody to the Lord. Now, let me say, I don't save them. Jesus saves them. I'm a conduit. Okay, I am there to facilitate the Lord. The Lord does the saving. I do not. But I want to show you this morning how I lead somebody to the Lord. Kenneth, do you mind helping me out? So what we're going to do, again, McKenna's agreed to help me. And if you'll just come stand right here, I'm going to pretend like I'm just knocking on your door. Okay, so... Knocking the door, you can open it. And uh, so, you know, this is just this is me out visiting one, out visiting door to door. Hello, my name is Brett Martin. I'm from Chester Baptist Church, and I'm just out visiting in your area. Uh, I was wondering if you had a church you go to. This one. Oh, you go to this church? Okay. Well, we're not out looking to take anybody from their church or anything. I'm glad you do have a church you go to. Um, but you know, before I leave, more important than where we go to church is this. Are you 100% sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Or do you think you'd have some doubt about it? 100% sure. Say so you'd have some doubt. Oh, doubt, doubt. Okay. <laughs> All right, so you'd have some doubt about it. Okay. Well, the Bible says that we can know 100% sure that when we leave this earth, we can go to heaven. If you give me just a couple minutes, I'll show you from the Bible how you can know 
that you're going to be on your way to heaven when you die. Is it okay if I show you that? It won't be very long. Okay. So what I'm going to show you here first is I'm going to show, show you here Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. The Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And over here in verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The first thing we have to know in order to go to heaven is that we're a sinner. It says, for all have come short of the glory of God. I've sinned, you've sinned, your mom and daddy sinned, your grandma and grandpa sinned. Everybody in the whole world is a sinner. We've all come short, and sin means I've broken God's law. We've all broken God's law. God is here, and we've all come short of that. So in order to go to heaven, the first thing we have to know is that we're a sinner. So I'm going to ask you to, to repeat back to me some stuff, okay? So number one, we're all what? Sinners. Sinners. I want him talking back to me. I don't want him silent the whole time. Because if he's silent the whole time, his mind will drift. So I want him to talk back to me, okay? So number one, we're all what? Sinners. Sinners. Now here's the second thing I want to show you. This is Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, McKenna, you have a job, right? Yeah. Now, when you get paid in your job, do they pay you in bottle caps? Mm -hmm. They pay you in cash. You don't want no bottle caps. You want some cash, okay? Mm -hmm. Well, you work and you get paid money. That's your wage. See, because we're sinners, our payment is death. The Bible says in Revelation 20:14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So that word death there means hell, okay? So, my, so I'm a sinner. My payment for that sin is hell. I have to pay that because I'm a sinner. But I want you to see here it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. McKenna, I'd like to ask you, uh, I want you to pretend like there's a Christmas tree right here. Now underneath that Christmas tree is a present. It's got your name on it. It's green, it's got a big red bow, and it's got a big, big label on it that says McKenna. Now, let me ask you a question. It's under the tree. It's got your name on it. Is it yours yet? No. It's not. Not until you go get it, right? Until you go and pick it up and open it and receive it, it's not yours. Well, that's like salvation. Salvation, Jesus bought it for you. He paid for it. He wrapped it up. It's got your name on it. But until you go and receive it, until you go and pick it up, it's not yours. So let's review a little bit. Number one, we're all what? Sinners. Number two, because we're sinners, we deserve to go where? Okay. Now let me show you number three. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know the story of Jesus on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. You know why he died on the cross? He died on the cross to pay for our sin. You see, the Bible says that the only way our sin can be washed away and the only sin way our sin can be taken care of is a blood sacrifice. And that's the reason why Jesus died on the cross. He died on the cross to cleanse our sin away, to wash our sins away with his blood. And that's the reason why he died for us, why he left heaven. If I was in heaven, I wouldn't want to leave to come down here. But he did that because he loved us enough to die for us to pay for our sin. So number one, we're all what? Sinners. Because we're sinners, we deserve to go where? Hell. 
who died on the cross for us to save us from our sin. Jesus Christ. Now here's the last thing I want to show you. This is Romans 10, verse number 13. It says, for whosoever. Let's stop right there. Who's that talking about? Everybody. Everybody. Red, yellow, black, and white are all precious in God's sight. Gender, race, doesn't matter what religion you are, where you're from, for whosoever. And then it says, shall call. Now, can I pick up the phone and dial 555 God and say, hey, yo, God, what up? Is that how we talk to God? Probably not. How, how do we talk to God? Pray. We pray. For whosoever, that's anybody, shall call, that's pray, upon the name of the Lord. Now, what's the name of the Lord who died on the cross? Jesus is the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. McKenna, that's all you got to do to get to heaven is ask him to save you. Now, real quick, I want to show you what this verse doesn't say. It doesn't say for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and live a good life. It doesn't say for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and go to church. It doesn't say for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and be baptized. Shall be. It doesn't say that. All you have to do to be saved is ask Jesus to save you. Ask him to wash your sins away and take you to heaven when you die. Now, McKenna, let me ask you a question. Would you like to receive Jesus today? Yes. In just a minute, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You've seen a wedding, right? Mm -hmm. The wedding, they stand up in front of the preacher, and the preacher says the vows to them, and they repeat the vows to each other. But they're not talking to the preacher, are they? No. They're not studying the preacher. They're talking to each other. When I lead you in this prayer, you're not just saying the words back to me. You're believing in your heart, and you're talking to God. I'm leading you in the prayer, but you're talking to the Lord. I'm going to say a short prayer, and then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. All right? Let's, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, uh, when I pray for McKenna, he wants to be saved. I pray that you'd help him to get saved today. Now, this is important. You can watch, but this is important. I want him to speak out loud. Don't let them speak in their heart. Don't give them that option. You want to hear them say this prayer. All right? Now, McKenna, the Lord's looking down from heaven. He knows my heart. He knows yours. If you want to be saved, if you want Jesus to save you, be on your way to heaven. I want you to repeat after me. But don't say it to me. Say it to the Lord. Say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I know because I'm a sinner. I deserve, hell. I deserve hell. I know you died, know you died on, the cross for my sin on the cross for my sin to wash my sins away. Come in my heart. Save me today. Take me to heaven, Take me to heaven when, I die. when I die. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name. Amen. amen. Now, McKenna, let me ask you a question. Did you mean that? Yes. If you meant that, what, the, what happened as soon as you believed that is the Holy Spirit came out of heaven. He came in your heart, and he's going to live in you for the rest of your life. Now, McKenna, you just got saved, and you got the Holy Spirit in your heart. If you were to walk at that door and get smacked by an 18-wheeler, flat like a pancake, where would you go if you got Jesus in your heart? If you went out there 10 minutes ago before you got saved and got struck by lightning and fried like a chicken leg, where would you have went then? Well, well, for purposes of this illustration. But anyway, thank you very much. You can have a seat. Technically, we all, everyone, saved or not, will go to be judged. 
then they will be told they can stay in heaven or not. Right. Um, what was the point in telling me behind telling you behind that pulpit to go lead somebody to the Lord if you'd never seen it done? And that was the point of that. If you'd never led anybody to the Lord, that was the point of what I was showing you. So, Brother Brad, I could never remember all that. And that's why we have these. These are Bible tracts. I've got a box full of them in my office. I've got over a thousand of these. Now, in the front is our name and address and our time, service times, which we need to change, by the way. But the important stuff is on the back. All the verses, every single verse I just gave him is on the back of this track. It explains each verse on the back of that track. And at the bottom of that track is a prayer. The same prayer I led him, led him through is the prayer that's on the back of this track. And what you do is you just give them a track, you take a track, and y'all read it together. And when it comes to the prayer part, you have them bow their head and close their eyes, and you, you read that prayer out loud to them and lead them in it. That is a step-by-step -step way of how to lead somebody to the Lord. They're on the back of that table. I keep them on the table. Take them with you. Put them in your car. Leave them at the tip at the restaurant. Give them out to drive through people at the drive through window. That shows people how to be saved. Anybody can use a track and lead somebody to the Lord. Maybe you've got some enemies, enemies today because they're lost. What do you need to do? We need to witness to them.